Welcome to the CND Podcast. I'm Naeem McAllachand and I'm the clinical editor. Today I'm going to be speaking to Addy Williams. Addy is a community pharmacist at Bedminster Pharmacy in Bristol. Last week, on the 2nd of June, Public Health England released a review into the disparities and risks associated with COVID-19. The initial findings from the review have identified a number of groups at higher risk of dying from the virus, including Black, Asian and ethnic minority groups or BAME groups. BAME pharmacists make up approximately 47% of the workforce, and sadly we know that 5 out of 6 pharmacy professionals who have died of COVID-19 are of BAME background. With disparities between ethnic groups being such a topical issue at the minute, and given the public outcry and reaction to treatment of black people globally and across the UK, I thought this was an important issue to address. I spoke to Addy on a not-so-sunny day here in London over an online call during lockdown. Addy, at the time of interview, was at home in Bristol. I started the interview by asking Addy his thoughts on the report published by Public Health England. This is what he had to say. Thank you, Neymar, for that question. I think one of the things that the Public Health England report rightly addressed was the issue, or which, which is widely reported, of how there is a perceived disparity in the, in the, in the, in the loss of lives for BME colleagues, NHS colleagues, from COVID-19. Um, of course, that itself is very concerning. It's concerning because that also does reflect also the the population stats that we have. There is, you know, which is all, you know, really sad in that sense. Uh, one of the things that um, a lot of lots of BME colleagues w- wanted to understand, and I guess everybody wanted to understand, was why. I'm sure that, um, you know, to be fair to the uh, to the group that's done. Uh, the report in the search in the short space of time and bearing in mind that the COVID-19 research is ongoing as well there's still a lot more we are going to learn after this than we are going to learn do it I mean that wasn't something that the report was able to address and I guess one of the things which left a few a few two things that left a few people a bit uncomfortable with the report when it came out was um, which I guess was maybe not the remit of the report was also what do we do what do we do you know, to to improve or to prevent that loss of life. And so the report sits in one sense of providing, of bringing together information, some of which people already know, and um, almost uh, collating the concerns as well that exist alongside the evidence that are there, but did not, as it in, in its state, uh, answer the questions that people were expecting. And I think that may itself not be a discredit to the report. I think it just may sometimes is about expectation. And of course, we, we will appreciate the fact that this is a very concerning uh, time. This is very emotive time for many people. The other bit about the report was that I think in the in the way it was released and uh, there was a bit of confusion about the timing of the release and also how the report itself had been produced, which um, ultimately did not take anything away from it. But with the background of that emotive and anxiety and also, you know, really also quite now, we're also seeing a lot of uh, tension and, you know, a lot of exhaustion amongst uh, NHS uh, colleagues. It didn't give the report a good backdrop for which it would uh, allow for there to be, uh, for it to be uh, viewed as a positive, as great a positive step in terms of addressing those concerns. Yeah, completely agree with you, Adi. And I think there was a lot of confusion about when it would be released because there were maybe 
suspected to be delaying it with all the stuff going on in America at the minute because they didn't want to aggravate people more and cause more, I don't know, tension and aggravation, I guess. So they, they've been talking about how community pharmacy can protect their staff, especially those in the BAME group. Have you seen anything being done at the minute to, to, to protect staff or are there any risk assessments that are being put in place or carried out in pharmacies, you know, even in your pharmacy? Is there anything that's being done? That's a good question. I mean, one of the things that we have been uh, very fortunate in the Southwest where we are based is that we have had uh, comparative to the, uh, the rest of the country, in less of England, higher, uh, less incidence of COVID-19 cases. Uh, there are lots of reasons for that geographically, because maybe we we tend to have not as many urbanized areas as well that helps. Also, uh, we tend to have a low demographic representation of the in the BAME community as well in the southwest. So what that means is that I am fortunate to be in an area where we haven't had a lot of cases. But and even for even though we don't have a lot of cases, there is still that awareness that we mustn't be complacent because we have had this first peak and we the NHS is preparing for a second spike in cases. Uh, for us, uh, we've certainly had to do the assessments. Um, there in in our team, there there we do not we you know we minority uh, BAME. Uh, component of that team and myself being one of those actually it was good for me to have somebody else do that for me to because it seems you know it, it, it allowed for there to be a bit more objectivity uh, you know brought into it I'm conscious as well that um, you know one of the really encouraging things that I found out yesterday was that the eminent uh, professor Mahendra Patel is now working with the Lloyd's pharmacy group as well to try and develop a risk assessment for their organization and there is a you know, there is quite a strong numerical constituent of our local community pharmacies in the Southwest that are part of the Lloyd's group. Um, so I, while I'm not able to say what other pharmacies are done, I am certainly very aware of the resources that have been made available. I am aware of the fact that the um, NHS employers has um, made uh, available a risk assessment guide, which uh, we used to undertake our particular risk assessment and, and uh, also the Welsh government, which coincidentally for, for a pharmacy in Bristol, you know, we are only, we are literally, literally a stone throw away from Wales. And I'm sure the, the Welsh will forgive me for using their risk assessment score template, which is also the one that, that has been, uh, um, that has also been actually endorsed by the Association of Medical Professionals of uh, Indian Origin as well as the one that they have uh, kind of uh, shared on, the, on their platform, that that was the one that we used. So we've undertaken it. I know that, again, the PSNC, the RPS, so, and, and also almost all, all the uh, pharmacy publications have also highlighted this as well and signposted to resources. So it is available, but I guess the other question becomes the fact that we, where we have a profession in which a lot of the decision makers and particularly uh, senior management may not be of a BAME representation, maybe it's more important than ever before that we are careful to listen. And that's where, you know, those kind of, you know, the ability to actually take some of those concerns and, and one, pick them up and actually act on them because it may just not be very visible. Or if you're sitting in the boardroom, there may be nobody in that boardroom that is uh, affected by this because they're maybe not in the frontline role. 
who is saying to you, oh, we do need to address this because this is putting our people at risk. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point you made that, you know, maybe they're underrepresented at like higher levels, so they're not necessarily aware of the problem. Can you tell me a bit more about what's what's in the risk assessments that you've been you've been looking at and kind of things that they address or do they suggest that you do um, to look after staff? I think one of the things with the risk assessments is that it's a lot of it comes in two different you know, it, it seems to serve two different purposes. It's it really tries to help us to put in some way, first of all, a risk reduction strategies. And and I think really for you to undertake any sort of risk reduction, you need to first you need to be mindful of what constitutes the risk and one of and which of those risks are risks that can be managed or can be modified. So the assessment tool you know, some of them, and the one that I used, the Welsh one, was allocating particular scores to particular individual characteristics. Uh, that would be age, gender, any comorbidities or other ongoing medical conditions, uh, whether you are pregnant or not. And with that, was then trying to stratify uh, using a score-based system, uh, whether you were low risk, uh, medium risk or high risk, but also suggesting some ways to manage the uh, risk, that risk strata that you fall under, uh, which is very helpful. So if you are, for example, in the IS risk, you know, the consideration would be, is it possible for you to, to be removed from any patient-facing role? Is it possible for you to, um, to only work off-site or at home? Those are, you know, really good practical things there. But then, you know, one of the things to be mindful of is that the idea behind the risk assessment is still underpinned by a considerate kind of manage, you know, managerial structure of, of value that person. So the other bit about it is not to do the risk assessment and say, well, you have nothing to worry about, you're low risk, carry on as you are. And there. But to understand the fact that, you know, this is very emotive, um, there's still a lot that we do not understand. Um, and in that sense, Actually, what we want to do is to is you know is what underpins the risk assessment is to say to our colleagues who fall into the BME group that they are valued. We want to do the best for them because we know that they're doing the best for our patients, and we want to also work with them to protect themselves, the patients, and other colleagues. That, in truth, is a professional obligation that every one of us in the pharmacy team already carry. But that tool is to help to there and also to understand the complexities around some of those things as well, which, for example, if you're at a high risk, if you have a high score, which which may define a higher risk, but, you know, your working environment, the working structures in your community pharmacy, how do you work remotely? And what does that mean for you? Do you lose your income? And how does, you know, how does that feel on the team morale when one person is off? So, it's a bit more. It certainly has to be underpinned by by a compassionate culture of value that that says you know, and I think that's really important. But the tool certainly helps to look, pull down the information that we already know, and then to use that in a way that helps to inform the issue. But more importantly, to communicate that to colleagues. So for myself, for example, you know, I think it was it was important for me to be to be aware that because I'm male, I am more you know I have a higher score than a female colleague of the same sort of a of uh, ethnic background and that's that's a that's a thought there you know that's another reason to be extra careful another reason why you know you should really consider what you're doing and 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 i think that's what it's really trying to feed into but the have the risk reduction that comes out from the assessment i think is where 
the conversations that we're now having about should everybody in the pharmacy team wear a mitt or wear a mask? Should all patients that come into community pharmacy have a mask? How quickly are community pharmacy colleagues going to be able to access the um, uh, the antibody, the NHS antibody testing? You know, for us, we've decided that actually we're going to we've purchased the private antibody testing to make that available to everybody in the team after doing the assessment again because it is really about how do we value our team whom we know are doing exceptional things at the moment. From your perspective Adi, how do pharmacy teams feel about the whole team wearing face masks or patients wearing face masks? I think the issues around face mask is that it's important that especially now that we have got the track and trace service which we then mean that uh, for us to be able to support business continuity and also to make sure that we are not, it's not just about closing pharmacies, we're reducing the risk to community pharmacy teams from their engagements with members of the public alongside the easing down of some of the old restrictions that were in place. So, you know, certainly every member of the public coming into a community pharmacy, I think, should be wearing a face mask. I think if, if, if Transport for London expects that if you're on public transport, and I think that's now going across, the may go across the border, has gone across the border to all public transport, then I think actually if you're coming into the uh, most accessible part of the healthcare system, we must make sure that you are uh, wearing a face mask because I think it helps. To, it also helps people to think about the messages which would now start to drop in its visibility to them. The message about if you have symptoms, self-isolate and things because now life is getting to this new normal people may think well I'm, i feel okay and i just want to go in there to get something for my cough you know and whoa they've come into the pharmacy and then subsequently they find out that they've got uh, they actually did have uh, the virus that could be a problem for the for the pharmacy team there and again the public are part of the risk reduction that that you know to protect the pharmacy teams as part of the nhs so i think that makes a lot of sense to do that i think also pharmacy teams themselves there is a conversation to be had about you know should pharmacy teams always wear a face mask as well and but i think that is very difficult because if we don't sort of this you know come up with a guidance that 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 is consistent across all healthcare settings and i know that there's been information now given to guidance now given to hospitals and some other uh, healthcare providers about patients coming into their environment and visitors for those patients and what we are maybe looking at is that we don't want pharmacy to to stand alone as being exposed. And we also don't want pharmacy to stand alone as being seemingly overprotected. What we're saying is that if there is evidence that protects other people, uh, we should then think, how does that same evidence apply into our clinical environment as well, that will both for our, our patients and for our teams as well, so that there is a consistent thread in there. And I think that's important. So I, I think I'm, I really do welcome the RPS's campaign on this. I think it's it's uh, it's right. And there's a lot of ways that the RPS has really stepped forward and taken great leadership during this time. I think it's there. And I, and I think also the other bit that it's also very important to bear in mind is um, around some of the issues about protecting particularly BME colleagues is we must make sure that we are also thinking about how do we make sure that they are not in any way disenfranchised or out of pocket from the protective measures that we are taking financially as well. So that's important that even as we're doing about all this and we're taking steps to protect uh, the teams or pharmacy businesses, we are also protecting them in terms of their of their you know their long term sustainability uh, there because then we mustn't be having those um, you know those diametric sort of choices between are we going to protect ourselves or are we going to stay 
open and continue to exist. We think we need to look at a much more robust sort of approach in terms of this. But I think certainly it's, it's in the right frame to be thinking about, okay, do we need face protections? Is that going to be enough? If, if, it has, if other people are asking, uh, you know, uh, asking uh, members of the public to wear it, why shouldn't pharmacies as well? Yeah, I think and you touched on a lot of really important points there. And I think it's, you know, it's it's good to hear that, you've, you know, you're kind of considering the whole team because obviously, you know, it's very important that the, the AME groups are, you know, obviously at higher risk from the report, as it, which suggests. And I guess on the other um, side of it as well, you know, if, if people are working from home and working remotely, it puts the rest of the team under a lot of pressure. And, you know, with, with services already quite stretched at the minute, I'm sure that that is quite difficult on team morale as well. And maybe they might feel undervalued if they're not you know, being able to work from home, maybe, you know, I think that, you know, that's quite a difficult thing to consider. No, I think that's, that's you know, thank you for touching on that is very true, because at the same point is that we are also now at the point where we fully understand some of the, the emotional and mental well-being fallout from the experiences that we've had in the last uh, nine to 10 weeks, which means that while physically, you know, we, we may not be as tired as we were, we may not find ourselves as, as drained, but I actually there is now this awareness of the post-traumatic impact uh, of, of some of those lived experiences, you know, getting up in the morning, going into an environment where you don't know what's, what, what awaits you, um, you know, you're, you, come back in, you come back home in the evening and, and your family are telling you that, do you know that, you know, 5,000 people were diagnosed today? Do you know 300 people died? You know, what does that do to you? Thinking, oh, I've just come back. How do you, you know, so we, there is all of that. And for some of our team, you know, part of what happened is actually being in that team, coming into that, you know, keeping in that bubble together has helped them to get through as well you know you because the conversations you cannot have with people who are not who are, who are not working in that environment because they may not understand it and also many of them you can't even see them you know anymore so even have now having done the assessment you then also have to now think actually how do we support that information because you know how do we support somebody to work safely how do we um, maintain that question in the team how do we you know the, so th there is a, you know a real holistic approach that you need to take in terms of this but I think what must underpin it must be a compassionate caring evidence-led approach but it's also to take into consideration all the different factors as well you know is it practical for you to work you know to work remotely from the pharmacy is, is there more that we as a team can do to protect you and I think that was something that really I was really felt really touched by by the way my team have gone about this was to look at me and say well is there what can we do to protect you because actually you are the one at greater risk and, and i think it's nice when you get that sort of feedback as well there and i think that's really got to be the way we view this to make it work well yeah definitely and you know we've, we've seen loads of examples of like teams really pulling together and, and camaraderie and you've just highlighted there all the different logistics that need to be taken into account whenever you know trying to coordinate pharmacy staff at the minute so it's just really nice to see teams pulling together and yeah especially looking out for you and you know other people that are in the same situation so yeah that's that's really nice to see what about your patients that are in the BAME groups you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what I'm not sure what the demographics are like in your in your pharmacy, but you know what what can you what what can we do to kind of protect those patients, or what should we be advising them on, or do you have any advice? No, I think that's a very important point. I think really there is there is a need for us and to also from the learning that we that is now informing our you know what we are doing to protect ourselves, 
we must also appreciate the fact that the people at greatest risk actually are our patients. And, and sadly, one of the things that we have learned from this pandemic is that rather than it being a great uh, leveler, it has actually become a great revealer. It has revealed to us that the health inequalities that exist in our communities, many times which also have been linked to particular um, the, you know, social demographic data, is still very much where the lines in which the, the virus has hurt people the most. So that means we need to, again, really be much more uh, proactive in trying to you know, communicate with those communities, reach out into those communities with, with help and practical support. Because it's not, it's no, you know, a throwaway comment is for me to turn around to you who happens to be a member of a BME community who is, in, who is over 60 and also diabetic and say you are at greater risk. That doesn't really do anything. So actually what I need to do is almost to then say, well, you know, what do you need to do? How can you reduce that risk? Can you um, get some help with your shopping? Can you go out more? Have you, are you following social distancing? Do you know why? Are you making sure that you are, you know, have, have you been told to isolate yourself or to shield? And do you understand why? And are you doing so? Because actually, when I present the whole picture to you, you may then understand what is going on there. And, and we must also remember that not some of the barriers that have already existed around those health inequalities and maybe reaching into the communities that are most at risk, sometimes around language, sometimes around how we communicate information to them, and also sometimes around how the ways that they get information are not necessarily the ways that we have in the past been trying to get the information out. Maybe they are picking up information from social media and not less likely to be reading up their information from, um, from the broadsheets or to be picking it up from a government website is really where community pharmacy has a role because we are still interacting with those communities. We, will, we have always done, we continue to, and we are part of those communities as well. And our teams are representative of them. So uh, w one of the blessings from maybe somebody like me having gone through the assessment is that it has also helped my team to then also really understand even better how our patients, some of our patients are at greater risk and why they are at greater risk and what, how, what information we need to tell to them, but also what resources do we need to provide? What support do we need to provide to minimize their risk? Because we don't want to just give them the burden of the risk and say, you're at greater risk, do something about it. But actually, if we start to say to you, well, would you benefit from, from us doing some work tidying up your repeat medications for you? Would you be happy for us to call you when your medications are ready or text you so, so that you can send somebody or we can send somebody to deliver it to you? Those are practical ways now that we're helping them. Would you be, Do you know that you can get NHS volunteers to help you that, so you don't have to go out and do your shopping yourself? And do you know that they're... And, with all of that, what we can then say is that we are doing something to help to re reduce the risk uh, the, you know, that that person is exposed to, which I think is part of that. But it really also starts from that education, which, which is key. And it is, we must know that it is still, uh, sadly, that we are finding that the social inequalities that have existed and those community, the, uh, the demography details have always helped us to uh, C are now actually not just statistics anymore in the long term, but now they're causing, uh, you know, they're now mortality from even from COVID-19.
Yeah, Adi, I think that that's a really, really great answer. And I think you're, you're, you're just right. Like it is education and basically just letting patients know that that, you, that you're giving them help and you, you can give them resources rather than just letting them know they're at risk. I think that's the most important thing. Um, do you, do you have an idea of any of the support services that are actually available, even for pharmacists as well, in BAME groups? You know, where, where can people go to find support? I think I know that the, there is information available from, I think one of the one of the things that we I have seen and I must really commend across the uh, pharmacy bodies, uh, whether they are in primary or secondary care or even in commissioning and um, general practice roles, has been a real sense of how we need to make everything that we have available to our people as soon as possible. So I think all the pharmacy publications, the representation organizations have, have got information and resources to, to each extent, um, you know, relevant to some of the information, you know, relevant to addressing some of the concerns around this. I am conscious that there is no sort of definitive information available. And I think that is, to be fair, also going to be very difficult because lots of this is ongoing. And uh, because it's ongoing data, ongoing information, it needs refreshing there. But I know the RPS has got information. There's lots of information available about it. I think um, where and uh, you know where I think we may see a certain gap is actually where how do I get support if I am a BME member of a pharmacy team and I'm looking around and I feel as if nobody around me is 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 as concerned about my welfare as I feel comfortable with. How how can what do I do? Who do I reach out to? You know, is it the GPHC? Is it the RPS? Or you know, or do I go through my companies, organizations, have human resources, or co- occupational health? And how comfortable will I be to to do that without feeling as if in some way I I am almost stepping out of line? And I think we must understand that, you know, because of some of the experiences that people may may have had or the perceptions of how organizations uh, are, which may be wrong, you know, we need to also create ways for people to actually be able to validate their concerns and to come, you know, and that that can be reflected in a way that does not in any way prejudice uh, them, but actually allows everybody to, to fully understand um, to and also to react to those concerns in a constructive way. So that's something that I think is is maybe not there as much. I I think the role that the PDA plays in that is certainly very constructive and very helpful in there. But I think it must be that we must actually start to see that uh, you know some of this may not necessarily be just very objective, but it's actually a lot of emotion and subjectivity around this. And how do we help that? How do we address that and I'm, I'm happy to see that there have been webinars done on this as well i'm happy to see that um, organizations like the mpa and the psnc are also uh, making things available but i also feel that maybe a lot more of the resources are being made available to uh, to senior pharmacists and superintendent pharmacists like myself but actually i want to know that actually if i had uh, a colleague who was in, even in a non-clinical role, but was part of our pharmacy team, and they felt as if what I was doing just did not reflect enough on their concerns, and that I could get somebody feedback to me that this is what they, this is how they feel, and you know what have you done, and you know could you, and I think that's that's important actually for people to feel also that they are not 
you know, helpless. And and I think we need to look at how we can create that as part of the support that we, you know, that we make available. And, and like I said, maybe more also for some of our maybe non-clinical colleagues as well, who are a key functioning part of the pharmacy team. In my case, I mean, we would not really be able to do any of the things we're doing at the moment without, for example, our delivery lady colleague, who is highly exceptional. Yeah, Ali, that's some really, really good points you made there. And I, I completely agree with you. I think, especially at the minute, whenever kind of morale is so low and people are feeling discouraged, whenever things are so busy, and if they're not feeling supported as well at the same time, it just, you know, it's just a vicious circle. And it, it is very important for pharmacy teams to be able to turn to their managers and actually just say, look, I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel supported. I'm worried about my health, my the health of my team, you know, the health of our patients, you know, it is very important. So hopefully kind of in the next couple of weeks, we'll see a bit more clarity on some of the guidelines that are going to come out for people in BAME groups and support and where they can go. And hopefully it'll all kind of be in one place and easily accessible for the whole team, not just for those in kind of higher up positions. So yeah, I completely agree with everything you said there. I think it was very important points to make. Just kind of on that as well, there's been a lot of movement recently with the Black Lives Matter protests and things going on globally as well. Um, Quite a lot of my own interest, just wanted to see how you feel about that, because I know there's been a lot of controversy about the easing of lockdown but then people attending protests and you know what are your thoughts on that and you know I think a lot of people are in a lot of moral dilemmas about you know they've been shielding and staying inside but then you know there's these kind of movements at the minute with everything that's going on and they want to be part of it and show support and then also you know is this going to have an adverse effect on everybody um yeah so I just wanted to see your what your thoughts were on that and any advice on how maybe even pharmacy teams can promote awareness around you know the Black Lives Matter movement from a patient facing point of view yeah, and of course, uh, you know, for the purpose of our podcast, it's it's interesting that you're speaking to me in Bristol, and you're speaking to me in Bristol after we've just succeeded in, in pulling down a, a statue. So it brings a real context as well that for me, actually being in Bristol, uh, the Black Lives Matter campaign has now really what's happening in our in our in our city has actually gotten itself right on top of the global agenda in terms of how this works and and. I think the first thing to say is that, you know, we as healthcare professionals, irrespective of how we understand what's going on, one of the first things that we must do is really to try and look at what is the evidence. And what does that evidence mean is is to say that we are reiterating that evidence to people about social distancing, about the fact that, you know, the, the pandemic is not over yet. You know, just because we have been, we have succeeded through a collective effort to manage it, to bring it under control, to see some good results in the midst of some, you know, in the midst of what is still, in truth, a real tragedy of almost, you know, likely to be almost uh, 100,000 lives lost, 60,000 or so sitting at the moment on our records or either there. We we mustn't lose sight of that there. Um, the Black Lives Matter campaign is a campaign, um, in truth, that has come to the fore in the you know and why that has happened is is almost a lesson for every one of us it's a lesson about how as much as when we look into when i look into our profession i i can say without any hesitation that i meet people who and i only know people of people whose values are, are in no way colored or blinded by any sort of prejudice um, people relate with myself for example whether you know because of me i don't think i've ever felt as if 
there is any sort of way that the, that relation is tainted because of any sort of personal characteristics there. But I think it really also tells us really how important it is for us to listen out to any sort of social injustice, to any sort of inequalities, and how we seek to address them time in a timely manner. I think that's my lesson. I'm fortunate I've lived in two cities that have had <laughs> statues in them. And it's a lesson from statues that I've learned. I lived in, a, I worked in, as a pharmacy student, I worked in Richmond, Virginia. And I remember turning up in Richmond, Virginia as a somebody who had studied the history of uh, the American con- Confederacy and the, and the Civil War with, you know, with a lot of interest to find the statue of Robert E. Lee uh, sitting in, you know, taking prominence in Richmond uh, there. Now, last week, the governor of Richmond announced that the statue was finally going to come down. I mean, they've been campaigning to bring it down for three years. Then I moved to Bristol to find the statue of Edward Colston taking a place of prominence in the centre of the city. So, and, and you know, if, to be fair to the people of Richmond, uh, Virginia, Colston's been there a lot longer. And Colston's had a lot of conversations about what, why it shouldn't be there and what should happen with it. But at some point, people just have enough. They just snap. They just, you know, act out of their frustration. They act out of the sense of, well, nobody's been listening to us all this time. They disengage with the system and they take actions, you know, to correct that in their own way. Now, that is that happens in civil society all the time when we don't address in time uh, injustice because any sort of injustice is not begging for a time that's convenient for it to be addressed. The person that's aggrieved requires some sort of redress now. And we start off, first of all, by apologizing to them that it's taking us so long to do so. So there is a lesson, actually, for all of us to say, you know, it's not just about the fact that maybe I, I am not like this and I don't see this. But actually, if somebody is saying that this is what's happening to them, if somebody feels or a group of people feel as if they are in some way um, disenfranchised, we need to see it as a priority. We need to act on it quickly. We need to validate their concerns. We need to do something about it quickly. Because if not, well, what will happen is that you know we will now see that it will. Uh, we can we can say that it could end up becoming like a like Edward Colston in Bristol. People will just rip it down and throw it away, and and then we will step back and talk about all the better ways we could have done things. There. And I think that that's important for us. And I think that's important because the Black Lives Movement is about how we as a society actually, you know, look to preserve the values that I, th- I believe we all share. And I think the same would be said for us as a profession as well, that there is a sense of looking around and thinking, actually, are they concerns that we are we asking about concerns and what are we doing about them? actually are we validating them or do we and are we prioritizing them as well and are we looking to actually do something in a structured way that will stop things just kind of convulsing and then we are dealing with the aftermath of that raw emotions and and the ethical dilemmas that that does exist in there in this case it's only a, it's only a statue that's gone down but there are other things that could go down as well literally that you know would not be so easy to retrieve or so easy to replace so i think that there is that but i think it's important for us as healthcare professionals when we are trying to support people as well and the same for our patients is to the same things apply to listen to their concerns to validate that and to also help them to channel it because part of the story of covid is is has been the story of health inequalities and part of that is that we also know that there are areas of there about people feeling that they are disenfranchised or not able to access the support that they need in some of those communities that have the worst health outcomes 
So we as community pharmacies are the best advocates that they can have. We are the most successful advocates. And most of them, you know, without any exception, already view us as friends. They view us as, you know, the people that they talk to, the people that are, that have got their back. So I think it's good for us then to be able to say, actually, not only can I listen to you, uh, I can do something about it. And, you know, one of my things is I've always in the past written to my MP or directed people to my MP when they've had concerns. It's a very strange relationship to have with the MP. And I've actually asked her before, I said, do you mind me doing it? And she said, oh, it's great. Because actually, you know what, people come and tell you things and you say, well, you know, why don't you speak to Karen about it? And she's able to sometimes provide the same information to them that they've been given by other reasons. But I think it's also about trust in a community. And we can find out as well, what are the, you know, what, what are the levers that exist? How can we build bridges in our community? And I think we already are good at doing that. But I think we just need to maybe start to see that this battle or this fight is one that we are also part of. Yeah, and I think that was a re- really nice and actually quite inspiring to listen to. You. I really like that you said that, you know, people see pharmacists almost as friends and someone they can talk to. And I think it's really important as pharmacists being on the front line that they can actually, you know, try and make a bit of a difference in these kind of issues that we're having at the minute. And, you know, it's, yeah, we're really well placed to do that. And I think that was really, really well, really well put. That was Addie Williams, a community pharmacist based in Bedminster, Bristol, talking about the effect of COVID-19 on pharmacy staff in the BAME groups and what pharmacy teams are doing to protect those staff and what they can do to educate their patients on current issues that are ongoing. I just wanted to finish off on a positive tweet that we've seen this week and it addresses one of the things that Addie had mentioned in the podcast that pharmacy teams are at the forefront of this pandemic. Jason Leach, the National Clinical Director for Scotland Government Health, tweeted this week to say the pharmacists and pharmacy teams are not only key workers but are one of the core elements of the pandemic response in Scotland. We've supported and thanked them through regular communication. I'm very grateful to the teams and of course condemn any abuse. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to CND Podcasts on iTunes or your preferred Android app. Thank you for listening.